Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I'm Ruth Haley Barton, and here again we find ourselves starting a new year in our church calendar with the season of Advent. This year, the theme of our Advent reflections is Come, Lord Jesus, Come, walking through the Advent season together. And so we want to do just that with you, our podcast listeners. Each week during this Advent season, a few members of our staff here at the Transforming Center will gather and we'll read the scriptures for that week from the Revised Common Lectionary for Cycle C. I'll share some thoughts about what these scriptures are stirring up in me right now, and then we'll have an open and honest conversation around those themes. We'll conclude each episode with the reading of a poem that will carry us even more deeply into the theme for that week and provide needed support. These episodes will release on Monday each week, so we can all read into the next Sunday scriptures together. And now, please enjoy this week's conversation. Welcome, friends, to the fourth week of Advent. We are glad to be on the journey with you, and our staff is sitting around like we've done in all the last Advent weeks, uh, ready to hear the scriptures read and ready to have a conversation. And the title of our episode today is Saying Yes to God. So let's begin by listening to the readings for the fourth week of Advent. Micah 5, 2 through 5a. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephratah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall live secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. Psalm 80, 1-7 Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come and save us. Restore us, O God, let your face shine, that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us the scorn of our neighbors our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine, that we may be saved. Hebrews 10, 5-10 Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, See, God, I have come to do your will, O God. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. And then he added, See, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. And it is by God's will that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, once for all. Luke 1, 39 to 55. 
In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This is the word of the Lord for the fourth week of Advent. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Well, I'm aware of one of the benefits of using the lectionary this week because um, each week of or each cycle of the lectionary emphasizes a different gospel. And so we're in Luke right now. Uh, if we were in cycle A, we would be in Matthew. And so in Matthew, the emphasis, there's a lot more emphasis on the man of Joseph. But in in Luke, this is definitely Mary's year in the cycle. And so we are going to talk about Mary today. Next year will be Joseph's year, so just know his time is coming. But today we're going to talk about Mary. And talking about Mary is a little bit challenging for Protestants because we don't know quite what to do with her. Uh, we're not comfortable with the fact that many in the Catholic tradition actually seem to worship her. And yet I think we miss out on something as Protestants when we don't honor her in ways that are appropriate. So I would say that as Protestants, we're really clear that we don't worship Mary, but we venerate Mary. And I want to put that word out. That's an old fashioned word, but I think it's a lovely word because venerate does mean to reverence, to respect and to honor someone. So in this week, I believe we are invited to honor Mary and to honor her place in the story and to honor her very intimate journey. And why is that? Why do we want to give Mary place in our lectionary cycle? And why do we want to give her place in our Advent journey? And the answer is very simple. Mary demonstrates to us better than almost anyone in scripture what it means to say yes to the will of God. I mean, that is who Mary is. That is why we venerate her, because she is such a tremendous example of what it means to say yes to the will of God, even when the will of God is challenging, even when we don't understand it, even when other people can't understand it, even when it seems like it's going to ruin our lives, even when we know it's going to take us through some painful places. Uh, Mary's story tells us and shows us what it looks like to say yes to the will of God. God's will, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else, which is to me the ultimate outcome of the spiritual life, actually, is that we would say yes to the will of God. And another word 
that's really beautiful in this context is that Mary shows us what it means to actually surrender to the will of God. And the word surrender is a beautiful word as well, and it's an uncomfortable word. It doesn't fit well in our culture because nobody thinks it's a good idea to surrender to anything <laughs> right now. I mean, we are all in such a fighting mood that to surrender would be a completely negative thing to suggest to someone. But Mary shows us what it means to know the will of God, to hear the will of God, and then to surrender to the will of God, what it really means to say yes. And it is this aspect of Mary's person and character that we celebrate in this season. And I, I hope we will take the week to honor Mary and to learn from her and to look at her life and to look at her experience because she was a very young girl who is completely unprepared for what happened in her life. The angel of the Lord comes to her and tells her exactly what's going to happen in her life. And it is going to ruin her life. It's going to ruin her love life. She has no guarantees at this point that Joseph, her betrothed, is going to understand and believe what's happening in her life. She could have been stoned, actually, because, uh, you know, if you don't know that the Holy Spirit visited with her, then she could have been seen as an adulterous woman who had had an illicit sexual affair. So she could have been stoned. Certainly her family didn't understand what was happening in her life. She didn't know all the pain yet, but she also definitely knew that having a child is quite the journey and that we bear children through our bodies and that there is, you know, pain and tears um, and patience and labor associated with that. And so Mary still embraced God's will, even knowing that the journey ahead for her would be very difficult. So this week we turn our attention to this woman who is such an example for each and every one of us of what it means to surrender to the will of God. The other thing that's just so interesting about being in Luke for this cycle is that in this week in particular, the fourth week of Advent, we are fully in the realm of the women. Everything that's happening in this story is happening to women and in women and in relationships between women. This is really the story of the meeting of the wombs. It's very, very interesting. And it's a story that takes place within a friendship, a friendship between Mary and Elizabeth. If you can put yourself in Mary's situation at all, you might be able to imagine how lonely she was, that because her pregnancy had happened outside of wedlock, her community would have probably rejected her pretty thoroughly. She was probably quite ostracized. She certainly didn't have anyone other than Joseph in her life who understood and believed that this was the will of God in her life, that it was not the result of an illicit sexual affair. And so she had probably been living with loneliness and living with this pronouncement from the angel Gabriel by herself all alone for a very long time. And so she seeks out Elizabeth. And I think what she's seeking, she is seeking someone who knows and can see and can understand what God's will is in her life. She's seeking somebody with whom she can let down and say, this is what's happening. Can you be with me here? I think that's what she's seeking in going to see Elizabeth and taking a treacherous journey to go see Elizabeth because no one fully understood what was going on in her life and how God's will was working itself out. And so what a relief it must have been for Mary to come into the presence of Elizabeth and to have the children in their wombs actually witness together about the reality that it was indeed the Christ that was within Mary's body. And so this is an amazing story of discernment of the will of God, saying yes to the will of God, surrender to the will of God, seeking out compassion or compassionate friendship uh, from those who could understand the will of God unfolding in her life. 
And then this whole question of what it means and what it looks like to say yes to God's will when it becomes clear to us what God is doing in and through God's will. So that's the first thing I'd like us to talk about. I have two things I want us to talk about today in our in our podcast episode. And the first one is about saying yes to God. And here in the Transforming Center in our seventh retreat on discernment, we actually hold up Mary as an example of um, this prayer of indifference. Let it be with me according to your will, where she's able to be indifferent to anything but the will of God. She's able to be indifferent to personal discomfort. She's able to be indifferent to um, her own personal inconvenience. She's indifferent to her own pain and suffering. She is indifferent to anything but the will of God. And this is the most challenging place in a discernment journey, is to become indifferent, to ask God to help us to be indifferent to anything but the will of God. And so for the first part of our conversation, I thought we could settle into a conversation about saying yes and what it means in our lives to be indifferent to anything but the will of God and to completely surrender ourselves to God and to God's will. And um, it's clear in Mary's story what were some of the things that could have kept her from saying yes, because I don't think that Mary was a victim. And I want to be really clear about this. I don't think that Mary was forced in any way. I think she had the chance to say yes or no. And she said yes. She said yes from the deepest part of her being. Let it be with me according to the will of God. So there's no victims here. Mary was faced with an opportunity and she said yes. And we know some of the things that might have been hard for her in saying yes to the will of God. But I'm wondering if we could have a bit of a conversation about what makes it hard for us in our current day to say yes to the will of God when it becomes clear that God is doing something in our lives and that God is asking something from us in our lives. And even as specific as we'd like to be about moments when we've known that God was guiding us in a particular way and it took an element of indifference to anything but the will of God, or it took a very challenging kind of surrender to say yes to anything but the will of God. That that prayer for indifference is always super tricky for me because <laughs> I can exist in this like false indifference, like my personality type kind mm. of doesn't want my opinions to rock the boat or my mm. preferences, maybe even more than opinions. And so I spend a lot of time being like, oh, it's no big deal, whatever, mm. I don't care. And sometimes I really don't care and sometimes I do, but I don't want to express that. And so then to think about what true indifference is, mm. is a really, sometimes it's really hard for me to name it and and find it. And so it's that is like a thing I'm just sort of always trying to like, pray for but also to really sit with like do I really feel that way or am I just kind of doing the thing with God that I do with other people where it's like whatever I'm cool it's no big deal you know it's a it's a I don't know I don't I I, I'm always very curious about people's stories of really receiving that indifference because I I don't know I don't know there's not very many times in my life where I can say that I've truly felt that deeply yeah I love that nuance that you're bringing because there is a really big difference to that hard one indifference to anything but the will of God and apathy. Because mm-hmm. I think you're talking mm-hmm. about yeah. apathy. Yeah. And oftentimes when we think about indifference, we're, we think of it as a negative thing, a passive thing. It's, it's It means we don't care. We don't have passion. We're apathetic. And that is so not what the spiritual dynamic of indifference is. And in fact, I think any true experience of coming to indifference probably has a wrestling in it. You know, like Jesus, when he he sweat great drops of blood, that he actually had to wrestle and work really hard. He actually had a strong opinion. He wishes the cup could pass from him 
but he wrestles and gets to the point where he can say, not my will, but thine be done. So I really appreciate you naming the fact that there is a significant difference between apathy and this hard-won indifference as a spiritual dynamic that actually God works in our lives. Yeah. I think one thing that um, is hard in the prayer of indifference is fear, I think, for me. And even being able to acknowledge that it's fear, I think, is you have to go down deep to what's actually happening. And I Mm -hmm. think a lot of us struggle to go beneath the surface level feeling to actually know why we might not why what might be stopping us from indifference and what that stirs up in us and then how to get to that place of indifference so Mm -hmm. I I feel like for me a lot of times one time in particular I very clearly could say the the reason that I can't be indifferent is because I'm afraid Mm -hmm. and then that allowed me to go further in to what was really going on so that I could come to a place of indifference. Yes. That's wonderful to be able to pay attention to what's keeping us from surrender. Yeah. And fear is often, you know, often something that keeps us from, from full surrender to God. That's beautiful. For me, the biggest challenge of the prayer of indifference is to not see it as a good luck charm prayer. Mm-hmm. I, was reminded as you were talking about this of just a really difficult season in my life in my previous church mm-hmm. where I was actually being attacked and doubted and had loss of relationship and that that season extended itself to be almost like 10 years and I remember in that process being reminded of the prayer of indifference and praying it but almost thinking in the back of my mind that if I can just get this right, it's all going to turn out good in the end and I'm going to get what I really want. (laughs) (laughs) And 10 years later, (laughs) I realized that actually praying the prayer of indifference led me to a place of desolation. It wasn't easy for a long time. It did get better, but it didn't magically solve everything that I was wanting to have happen around me and inside of me. Mm -hmm. And so it really challenged me spiritually to keep praying that prayer and holding steady with God. Mm-hmm. Praying the prayer for indifference, for true indifference. Yeah, so that you could be given the gift of real indifference. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think what you're raising is really important because Mary's life shows us that as well. She ha- she prayed the prayer of indifference, but it didn't work out so well for her, <laughs> you know, for quite a long time, you know. The fact that she was at the cross watching her, her own journey of saying yes to God resulted in the greatest pain of her life which was being there at the cross when her son was crucified so I really am glad that you're bringing up this idea of not using it as a good luck charm that it doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect and not hard and and all of that the path that God leads us on sometimes is really challenging and we have to be ready for that and willing for that then you can look back and see the beauty in that path even though I couldn't see it at the time I was going through it but now I can look back and see there was great beauty Mm-hmm. and treasure in that time that's right but i just wasn't able to access it as i was going through it mm-hmm. yeah i'm a woman with strong opinions and strong passions mm. and this season gave me many opportunities in which to feel strongly and what i recognized in myself was that indifference for me can feel like weakness to Mm -hmm. others 
And I had to go more deeply and recognize that actually this position of being indifferent towards a lot of things that were very dear to me actually required a strength of believing in God's goodness. Mm -hmm. I mean, a deep belief that went more deeply than what I had engaged before. And I do think at times that others saw weakness in that, not knowing that for my personality, that actually required a strength that I did not know I had. So in your struggle with indifference, one of the things that had to die in you was how you were going to look to other people Mm -hmm. as you acted out your indifference, which is, I think, a really powerful part of your story and Mary's story. She had to be indifferent to the fact that people were going to think that she was an immoral woman, you know, and that she had betrayed her betrothed to be husband. And she had to say, it doesn't, that does not matter to me nearly as much as saying yes to God's will in my life. Wow. Thank you. You know, I love that we're we're talking about not just uh, the prayer of indifference, but the prayer for indifference. And I think, you know, it was over 10 years ago that I first learned about both of those prayers in the transforming community. And I have nothing but awe at Mary's indifference and and actually still feel like I I'm still praying praying for indifference mm-hmm. 10 years uh, I don't think I've ever really uh, been able to be truly indifferent mm-hmm. in in some of the bigger things so I just every time I read Mary's story I just am in awe and and I love that it's a woman mm-hmm. you know Jesus did it mm-hmm. but she wasn't God mm-hmm. and she still did it yeah uh, and that's what I love about mm-hmm. it it requires so much surrender and trust too. Like I think about there are other things like I can access joy. Like there's ways that I can think about gratitude. There's other emotions or other states of kind of a mindset that I can maybe get to a little bit more on my own. But that indifference, like there's no way to get to indifference without God. And so you have to like really just trust that he's going to bring you there. And that is so scary to me because there's 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 no control there's no there's not even a whole lot of like practice you can do around it other than just opening yourself up and saying this is what I hope for and and will you bring me there and that is just oh it makes it so hard it's really something for a Christian who's been on the journey for a long time you know like all of us sitting around this table have been on this Christian journey for a long time and to admit that while we're doing many of all the Christian things, being indifferent to the will of God is something that we still struggle with, you know? I mean, you'd think that that, I mean, that is kind of a basic of the Christian life. And here we are. As I, saying. I thought it was like a 200 level. Oh, you're telling me it's basic? <laughs> it's powerful for us as a group of, you know, mature Christians to admit this indifferent thing is, indifference thing is still really, really hard for us. It's a challenge. And Mary's story continues to challenge us if we're willing to face into to her challenge, the challenge of who she is and the choices that she made. And, you know, there is this aspect of belief and trust, and that is what Elizabeth is affirming in Mary. 
she says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord, that it, it is really, really impossible to move towards the prayer of indifference without believing something, right? To your point, Jerry, um, that we have to believe in the goodness of God. We have to believe in the promise, a promise, the promise that God is going to be good to us if we give ourselves over, if we surrender. And I think that takes us to one of the deepest places in the spiritual life is, do I really believe that God has, has made a promise? Do I really believe that God is going to be good even when the season lasts for a long time and I can't see what's going on and what's happening and it's not what I want. I want something different to believe that God is still at work in those moments. Um, that is what Elizabeth is affirming when Mary shows up in her front yard is blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her. So it's a really powerful moment and in, in interaction here. And, you know, we pull the Magnificat out of context a lot in this season, I just want to say. We read it a lot in church services and things like that. What we lose track of is the fact that this moment came because her friend blessed her. And her friend affirmed what God was doing in her life. And it was this moment between two women that brought forth the Magnificat. And the Magnificat was prayed in this really intimate moment between two women who were spiritual friends and who could recognize the activity of God in each other's lives. So I see this as an example of spiritual friendship as well. The very essence of spiritual friendship is the fact that a spiritual friend is someone who is watching and can see and can name and can affirm what God is doing in your life. Even when nobody else can, that spiritual friend can see. They have the gift of seeing what God's doing and can affirm it. So I, I see spiritual friendship as also being a really important theme in in this story. You know, Ruth, I just want to thank you. And this is what I love so much about this community and my transforming community experience and everything in the Transforming Center, where we can actually be honest about what the most basic things we should believe, yet struggle to believe. And I think that's what that's what's so beautiful and what so draws me is that that's, that's what I, I want to be in a place where I can talk because if I can't be honest with others about what's going on, then I can't get there myself. Mm -hmm. So thank Amen. you. Yeah. I'm excited to be in the conversation because we talk about indifference in every community in retreat number seven. But for us as a team, as a staff, to go deeper with that topic for ourselves is a real blessing to me to see how are we working with this? How are we working with this issue of indifference? We're not just leading other people. You know, we're working with this stuff all the time ourselves. And I just love that, that we're able to talk about this, you know, in the context of the Advent journey. And this is where we are in the fourth week. We are definitely talking about indifference because Mary's prayer, let it be with me according to your will, that is the quintessential prayer of indifference. And uh, she's our example. And so central to our faith, right? Yeah. Like, that's why 10 years later plus, I still mm. think about it all mm. the time. It's yeah. the most basic thing. Are you willing to be on God's page with what mm -hmm. his will is instead of your own. Yeah. It's something that it just has constantly mm. uh, reverberated. And I, I, until we talked about it today, I didn't realize just how much it's central to what I think about when I'm involved in situations and how I try to be indifferent. And I think I am sometimes, but then I, when I really go down, I go, no, I don't think you are, you know. Yeah. The other thing that's really striking is that this, what we are talking about today is in the Lord's Prayer. 
you know, the, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth on in my life as it is in heaven. So talking about this, we are putting ourselves right there in the middle of the Lord's prayer that, that Jesus prayed and said, this is the way I want you to pray. So to pray that the will of God would be done in our lives, that we'd be able to say yes, man, we are right in the middle of what Jesus wants for us in this season. Well, I want to take us one more place in response to this place in scripture. And, you know, on our podcasts, I'm always, you know, walking a fine line between not wanting to be controversial, but at the same time wanting us to be challenged. You know, I'm never wanting to do anything for the purpose of being controversial, but I do believe that there are places in scripture and places in the spiritual journey that, that do challenge us. And so the second thing I want to talk about in this episode is the fact that God did indeed work in and through the wombs of these women. And I'm going to do something I haven't done yet before, and that is I want to share a poem with you early, then I want us to talk about it, and then I want to conclude by giving ourselves and our listeners the chance to ponder it themselves. So this, let me read the poem first, and then I'll say one thing that I'm taking away from this poem, and then we'll talk about it a little bit together. So I'm reading again from Drew Jackson, writing, he's a founding pastor of Hope East Village in New York City. And in his foreword to this book of poetry, he talks about the fact that he is writing as a black man, inviting us to explore some of these themes, themes of liberation and oppression and equality, the fight for equality and justice. He is, he's looking at the Luke account uh, through the lens of uh, being a black man. And so I really appreciate that. And I wanted to point that out because he's very open about it in his preface. But this poem is just knocking my socks off and I'm loving it and I'm wondering what it means and taking it deep into my own heart. So it is a poem that responds to the very passage that we're in today, Luke 1, 5 through 25. And let me read this for you. Then we'll talk about it and then we'll read it again for our own continuing pondering. There's a word in here that I wanted to find before you hear it, in case you don't know it, and that is the word detritus, which means garbage or waste. It's an important word. That's one of the most important words in the poem, and I want to make sure you know what that word means before I get to that word. So the word detritus, which means the, the really the lowest kind of waste and garbage that, you know, that we would have in our culture. So in the days of empires and puppet regimes, God speaks. Through wombs, rested and discarded because they were unviable. This is what they do, the Romes, the Babylons, the USAs, the men, tossed to the side as detritus what they've deemed unfit to be utilized. But God speaks through wombs, birthing prophetic utterances, the object of public scorn given the power to name the happenings of the Lord. Elizabeth is her name. Say her name. It is she who will be the one through whom the covenant is kept. She, like a priestess, speaks her word while the leading male voices are shut. Enough of this unbelieving religion that masquerades as faith. Divine favor is placed on what we have disgraced. So let us remember that these two women were disgraced, both in their own ways. Mary was disgraced because she was pregnant out of wedlock. And Elizabeth, in her culture, this is culturally speaking, she was disgraced because she had not been able to have children. 
So these two women, who in that culture were both disgraced, were given voice. And the babies in their wombs were proclaiming truth that the leading spiritual voices around didn't know how to acknowledge. My goodness. My goodness. It makes the Christmas story quite subversive and radical, actually, if you look at it through this lens. And I think that Drew is looking at it through a beautiful lens. It's really a good lens for us. So I think what this, what this poem has had me reflecting on is the fact that God has the prerogative to speak and to act and to offer prophetic utterances through whomever he chooses. And that while we as human beings might categorize people in such a way as to say you don't get to have a voice, the Christmas story is telling us that God can use whomever God chooses to speak his word and to prophesy about spiritual truth and spiritual reality. And this is important to us as Christians. It's important to us in the church to pay attention to who are the voices that we silence, who are the people that we say you're not good enough to get to speak. You're not the right gender to get to speak. You're not the right race to get to speak. You know, uh, you're not the right sexual orientation to get to speak. You can't speak. But this story is saying God gets to choose who speaks. And in the Christmas story, while the men are silenced, God is speaking through the wombs of these two very lowly women in terms of the societal way of looking at them. That means something to me. I mean, that means a lot to me this season. How do you react and respond <laughs> to this? I'm shutting up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you see this and feel this the way that I do? I mean, I'm, I'm just almost trembling to see the scripture in this way, to see this story in this way. That the lowliest people in society, God is saying, no, you get to have the voice. You get to be the ones to experience this amazing set of miracles. One set of voices that comes to mind is the voices of um, the little humans in our lives. Charity and I had a conversation about how to talk to our kids about different things in the spiritual life, but also how much they have to offer us. And so I just think about the season and how all the ways that I think of how I want to teach them about this season and about what it means, but realizing that they have a lot that they could teach us about the season and what we can learn from even just watching them engage in the season and the mm -hmm. questions that they ask and not necessarily even having the answers to give them and to wonder with them, mm -hmm. I think is, um, I think is a, they're, they're a voice that I think a lot of times if we don't catch ourselves, we, we miss seeing the wonder of, of this whole story because, at least for me, I grew up knowing the answers of the, what happened and why and what it means. And so I think some of the wonder is lost um, without the little voices. The little voices, yes. Beautiful. I find myself a little bit trembly about that too, the poem. Yeah. Because part of my act of faith right now is to believe that some of the most important and long-lasting things are happening in the deep end of the pool, where there's not so much noise. And 
to think that there was so much swirling around in the culture around these two women who were just gathering with their own knowing and yet the most profound thing was happening. There's a lot of really loud voices right now and it's hard to know when is the time to speak, when is the time to trust, when is the time to wait, when is the time to fight, and when is the time to proclaim that something else is happening. Mm -hmm. And it strikes me that both Elizabeth and Mary waited for the moments where God did the leading despite the really significant things that were happening in such quiet and dark internal places. And I'm having a hard time right now not being profoundly disappointed with a lot of the most powerful voices. The people who have been given the platforms, the people who are holding the power. And this very subversive poem gives me the hope that something subversive is happening right now too. In the quieter places. Yeah, and in, in really deep and faithful places. You know, even what you were saying about what it might look like on the outside as being weakness, it's really not. It's really hard to be standing in the middle when wars are waging. You know, and not in a cowering way, but in a like really solid inner strength rooted in God kind of a way. And so there has to be a deeper knowing. There has to be a way in which the most true things aren't always the most obvious. And I think that we're living in a time like that right now. And it's part of where I'm holding on to some hope that there are really important things happening and they're not the most obvious right now. Jeff, I really appreciated you saying I'm not going to say anything, but I do want to hear from our men, you know, in response to this. I mean, because next year we'll be in Joseph again. And Joseph was a very pivotal character in this story because his faith too enabled him to walk with Mary appropriately. So the men really matter too. And I don't want to in any way dismiss the men here. There are male characters in these stories that really mattered to the outcome of the story. So what is it like for you guys to be listening to a conversation like this? So true confessions here. This conversation and the poem really convicts me as a man, actually. And it reminds me of my first experience when I was on Transforming Community retreat as you referenced before and hearing you inviting us to look at Mary a different way and my history in the pastoral ministry had always taught me that you really shouldn't it's actually dangerous to look at Mary in any other way than oh she just did what God wanted her to do and isn't that beautiful Jesus came yay mm -hmm. um, but the way you opened up the story at the on the retreat about what we're reading today and how Mary said yes to God was convicting then, then and also today hearing this poem convicts me about just my own views of what it means to be a man that the strength and courage that I see 
And Mary is actually so much more than all of the men around her, and even more than the men around me in my church settings, that we're often sequestered away talking about how to solve everything, the way things should be, figuring everything out in our heads. And yet here we see this beautiful spiritual friendship in a place where God comes in and moves through the courage of one woman. And it puts us to shame. And I'm just really convicted Mm -hmm. about that as we sit here and talk about Mm -hmm. that today. That we really see what true courage and strength means in this story. Mm -hmm. And that I don't have much of that, (laughs) if I'm really honest. Mm -hmm. I would choose the easy easy thing and not say yes to God. Thank you. It does really point out the words that we often use to describe Mary. And I, my children were in a play last weekend, and the words in the play that were used to describe Mary, it was a play about a play, so the pageant director was telling the children who Mary was. And it was, she was quiet, and she was kind, and she was... And I found myself just being so frustrated and I was like, chill out. This is just a kid's play. It doesn't matter. And yet I heard it too. And I was like, women are really courageous in so many areas, both then and now in ways that get diminished. Um, And I'm finding myself to be less and less okay with it. Um, And so I just appreciate you saying that because I think that for the first time this year, I'm more than ever wrestling with our traditional ways of looking at Mary too. And I'm a little bit almost emboldened to get to look at some of these characters with fresh eyes and see what my spiritual heritage is as a woman. You know, what does it look like to be a woman of God and to go back and to look at some of these um, stories and and see something new um, that can also speak to today. Well, I want to close with a more reflective reading now of the poem and give us here gathered around these candles and in this room together as a, as a staff team, and also those who are listening, that we could just take this into our hearts and see what God has to say to us through this powerful poem. Again, I'm reading from Drew Jackson, And actually the title of his book of poetry is God Speaks Through Wombs. In the days of empires and puppet regimes, God speaks. Through wombs rested and discarded because they were unviable. This is what they do. The Romes, the Babylons, the USAs, the men. They toss to the side as Dratitis, what they've deemed unfit to be utilized. But God speaks through wombs, birthing prophetic utterances, the object of public scorn given the power to name the happenings of the Lord. Elizabeth is her name. Say her name. It is she who will be the one through whom the covenant is kept. She, like a priestess, speaks her word while the leading male voices are shut. Enough of this unbelieving religion that masquerades as faith. Divine favor is placed 
on what we have disgraced.